This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would again speak to us through your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Winnie the Pooh once said, I am a bear of very little brain, and long words bother me. Well, today we have a short word that bothers people and can certainly make me feel like a bear of very little brain. And that word is Trinity. The White Queen in Lewis Carroll's Alice Through the Looking Glass made a habit of believing six impossible things before breakfast. Some people may wonder whether as Christians we're required to do something similar with the doctrine of the Trinity. We're not, by the way. Today on this Trinity Sunday, I want us to consider again this difficult but very important doctrine of the Trinity. Today we remember and celebrate that our God is one, yet three the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I shall not attempt to make the Trinity easy, much less to try and explain the Trinity. I do, however, want us to see how this profound mystery of of the very nature of God is both vital to our understanding of who God is and to our understanding of who we are. So one of the big take-home points today is this. Just as God himself exists in relationship, so too are we who are made in his image, made to exist in relationship. Theologian and missionary bishop Leslie Newbegin said this. The deepest root of the contemporary malaise of Western culture is an individualism that denies the fundamental reality of our human nature as given by God. Namely, that we grow into true humanity only in relationships of faithfulness and responsibility towards one another. The truth is, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Rather, it is all about God. His purposes and his plans for all that he has created It is as we understand, not necessarily with our minds, but perhaps more so in our hearts, who God is, that we may then better be placed to understand who we are. While life is not all about you, that's not to say that you and I don't matter. Our lives, our experience, what we want and need and feel are all obviously very important in knowing who we are. Indeed, on a day-to-day basis, how you feel and what you need and want is obviously going to affect you very significantly. But these things are not or should not be that which form us as unique, made-in-the-image-of-God individuals. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, writings, Eat This Book, wrote this. Spirituality means going against the cultural stream in which we are increasingly trivialized to the menial state of producers and performers, constantly depersonalized 
behind the labels of our degrees or our salaries. There is more to us than our usefulness or our reputation, where we've been and who we know. There is what he calls, and I love this phrase, the unique, irreproducible, eternal image of God, me. The unique, irreproducible, eternal image of God, me. In order for us to discover ourselves in that way, what we need, says Peterson, is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into our true being. And of course, this is what the scriptures are able to do for us if we will let them. For it is in the pages of God's word that we discover the truth about God and about ourselves. And what we discover is that God is personal. Whatever else the doctrine of the Trinity tells us, it reveals God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are, of course, lots of analogies that we can use, ways to think about God and understand what he's like. But at the core, God is in relationship. So however old we are, whatever our circumstances may be, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is making himself known to us. Peterson says we may read the Bible looking for spiritual direction, for inspiration, for moral authority, for intellectual challenge, all of which is fine. But he makes a plea for us to learn to read the Bible in a different way, through listening, through inwardly digesting what we encounter in its pages, so that in doing so, we may encounter the living God, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who is personally revealing himself to you and to me, his designs on your life and mine. Peterson makes what I find to be a super helpful uh, plea, and it is for Trinitarian thinking and praying before Holy Scripture that cultivates an attitude that submits to being comprehensively formed by God in the way that God comprehensively and personally reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, I, know I don't usually preach on doctrine, so you know, stick with me. I see a malaise coming over you. It's okay. You see, the alternative to that Trinitarian way of, of engaging with Scripture to allowing God to form us into a worshiping community that he calls us to be, the alternative to that way of being is to put ourselves in charge of our own formation. Peterson writes about what he describes as today's most popular way of understanding ourselves, which is a kind of alternative Trinitarian approach. The new Trinity defines self as our text, as our text for living. The Bible isn't necessarily ignored or banned, it's just made subject to us. The three-personal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is replaced by a very individualized personal trinity of my wants, my needs, and my feelings. And that's a very different way of looking at life. And of course, it it's kind of reflects where we live, who we are, our culture. 
It is in many ways the ultimate consumer society. We're surrounded by endless personal choices and freedoms, all designed to enable us, or at least this is what we're told, to be in control of our own lives and have all our wants and our needs and our desires satisfied. That's the promise. But it rather begs the question, how's that working for you? But this is the way, subtly and not so subtly, that it's become all about me. And the fruit of the spirit of the age is consumption and acquisition and selfishness. It's where everyone's a law unto themselves about what is even true, what is even real. In this pseudo-reality, my feelings are the truth. My needs are what matter most, and my wants are paramount. This way of being inevitably and always ends in tears in emptiness, in disappointment, and in disillusionment. All right, last quote from Peterson for today. The blunt reality is that for all our sophistication, learning, and self-study, we don't know enough to run our lives. We require a text that reveals what we cannot know by simply pooling the acquired knowledge of the ages. And of course, we have such a text. We have the Bible in which and through which and by which God wants to form us and mold us and shape us if we will let him. Well, in each of our scriptures set for today, we get a glimpse of God. We get lots of glimpses. We also get a glimpse into the heart of God. And his heart is a heart that is filled with love and compassion for all whom he's made. First, in that familiar and amazing passage from Isaiah chapter 6, this extraordinary vision of the prophet being caught up into heaven where he sees the Lord sitting on a throne surrounded by angels, constantly calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the presence of that holy God, Isaiah is immediately flawed. He is so conscious of his own unworthiness. He cannot worship God as the seraphs do. He knows his life is unclean. And yet he can be cleansed, not by his own efforts, not by his own merit, not because of anything he brings, but only by God's grace and mercy and love. And once cleansed, Isaiah is commissioned for service. Our reading today stopped at verse uh, 7. You know, when he took the coal and placed it to his lips. Woe is me for a man of unclean lips. Yep. What's the next verse? Anybody know? Whom shall I send? Thank you, Bob Forrest. Uh, Bonus for Bob. Um, You were nearly there, Joel. Um, I'm going to read it. So... Then, so I'll read you the verse before. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that it has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then, this is the verse we didn't hear this morning. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, 
send me. Once cleansed, Isaiah is commissioned and sent out. And so in these verses, we see the awesome holiness of God alongside his amazing compassion and healing and forgiveness. And we see the importance of that worship that is going on. You know, what we get to do on a Sunday morning is just kind of join in with that which is going on around the throne forever and ever. And it's all juxtaposed with this imperative, this outflow of mission. And so our Isaiah is sent out. And our reading from Revelation this morning also highlights for us some of the great mystery and majesty of God with all those images of God high and lifted up, surrounded by winged creatures, singing and praising God. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. This is the God who we serve and worship and love and follow. A preacher speaking on the Trinity once asked the congregation at the end of his sermon, have I made it clear? And one brave soul shouted out, yes, to which the preacher responded, in that case, you've got it all wrong. St. Augustine once said, if we speak of God, what wonder is it that you do not comprehend? For if you comprehend, he's not God. Let there be a pious profession of ignorance rather than a rash profession of knowledge. The point is there will always be mystery around God. Always, even in all eternity. When we speak of God, we're speaking of the almighty God who is beyond our understanding. And so we do need to be careful that we not suggest we've somehow got a handle on God. We should not, as Reinhold Niebuhr used to say, get chummy with the Almighty. God is God, and we are not. And we have no claim on God. We have no control over God. Nothing like that. And yet, amazingly, this almighty, all-powerful, triune God calls us into relationship with him. C.S. Lewis says this, you may ask, if we cannot imagine a three-personal being, what is the good of talking about him? Well, there isn't any good talking about him. The thing that matters is being actually drawn into that three-personal life. And that may begin anytime, tonight, if you like. And surely that's the point for us today. We need and we are invited to be drawn into that three-personal life, that relationship with the Almighty God. And the invitation is to us individually, it's to us corporately. So I think the most wonderful and the most important lesson we learn from the doctrine of the Trinity is all that it teaches us about God and how God wants us to know him. Our God is a God who reveals himself to all whom he has made. Sadly, some people's image view of God is just one-dimensional. They think of God only as being almighty and all-powerful. And so they may stand in awe as they look up at the heavens that declare the glory of God. And that's right. And that's a great place to start. But God has revealed himself as more than the creator. For our God is not distant, remote, and unknowable. He's also revealed himself as our father. God's also revealed himself in another dimension, in human form, in the person of Jesus. Whoever has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. 
I and the Father are one. So we see in Jesus, God who knows what it's like to be human. And that matters. It matters greatly to me, at least. The God we worship, though almighty creator God, is also a God who suffers and feels pain. A God who loves and cares and wants to know and be known. And the third dimension in which God reveals himself is in and through the Holy Spirit. And we were thinking a lot about that last week, of course. God is knowable not only as the creator, not only through the historical Jesus, but he's knowable now, today, here, in our lives through the Holy Spirit. I hope on this Trinity Sunday we may gain a fresh understanding, a fresh appreciation of God in all his fullness as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For God is God the Father. He's like a really good father. He's like a parent who knows you and loves you and cares about you. God is like a dad who's really great at making things and fixing things. He's, He's like a dad who's really strong. Except whereas ordinary dads might be good at making models or dens or bonfires or fixing broken toys or making computers work or good at cooking and doing all kinds of things, God, our heavenly Father, well, he made the world with all the hills and all the trees and the animals and the flowers, and he even made you and me. God, our heavenly Father, is a loving, kind, caring Father who mends people's lives when they get broken who helps people find him when they get lost. He is a terrific God. God is also God the Son. No one's ever seen God the Father, but lots and lots of people saw Jesus. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus wasn't just like his Father, you know, like Father, like Son. No, Jesus was God. God the Father and God the Son are one. So if we ever wonder what God's like, then we can think about Jesus. Because he shows us what God is like. And what are some of the things that we know about Jesus? Well, he laughed, he cried, he got angry, he loved, he served, he saved, he healed, to name a few. So God is our Heavenly Father. He's like the very best Father we could ever have, but much better. God is God the Son, Jesus, and he's like a very special friend or a a caring, close brother. God is also God the Holy Spirit. You know, it's great being a dad, and it's great being a son. It's also great being a husband. Now, I should hasten to add, my wife, Andrea, is not quite like the Holy Spirit, Uh, and yet in some ways she she is, uh, because she helps me. She comforts me. Remember, we learned a new meaning of the word comfort last week. Bishop Otto, uh, with a club, prodding the troops, you know, spurring on the troops, comforting the troops. Um, She speaks truth to me when I don't want to hear it. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit does, too. As we saw in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us today. 
when we speak of God, it's really just shorthand for the Holy Trinity, for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How important it is for us to know God relationally and communally as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who mutually indwell one another, who exists together in one another and for one another in an interdependent relationship of giving and receiving this extraordinary holy dance. As God has called us to enter into this amazing dance, this amazing life-changing relationship with him, so also he calls us to do something of that with each other. We truly are to be a worshiping community. We're not meant to do this alone. And it is as a worshiping community that we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus and to obey his command to share Christ's healing with a broken world. And so with the angels, we cry holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And with Isaiah, we acknowledge our own brokenness and cry, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And with all who are led by God's Spirit, we dare to cry out, Abba, Father. As we come to realize who we are, and as we understand that there is so much more to us than our usefulness or our reputation, where we've been or who we know, Underneath all of that, there is the unique, made in the image of God, you. Made in the image of God, me. Known by God, loved by God, even to the point of his having sent his only son, Jesus, to give his life for us. As you hear this today, will you hear again the one who calls you? Will you hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Trust God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that today you, like Isaiah, may say, here am I. Send me. Amen. Amen.